Can I ask, who of you has either currently owns or has ever owned an iPhone? Hands up, look around. There's a fair few number of people who've had iPhones. And it's hard to imagine a day where iPhones, where Apple won't lead the way. They're always on the cutting edge, leading us forward. But you know, before the iPhone was released in 2007, there was another brand of smartphones that dominated 43% of the market. Does anyone know what that was? Blackberry. Now, anyone under probably the age of 20 probably might not even think an app, a Blackberry might be almost be like a record player, something from bygone centuries that is no longer relevant. But the Blackberry phone was the standard of phones. In fact, President Obama had um, a Blackberry because he was so impressed with the security measures it had. But Blackberry, the reason you knew it then with 43% of the, the global market for phones, and not now, is because BlackBerry lacked vision. You see, BlackBerry struggled to make sure that their vision was leading them forward. And what did that mean? Well, BlackBerry were hesitant to get into the touch type of you know, touch screens. They liked their little keyboard, and they didn't want to lose the, the keyboard. Their designs, they stuck with what they know. They weren't forethinking and innovative like Apple. And so they started to struggle and their designs became outdated. Their operating system, they wouldn't change and join other things like Android. They were like, no, we're sticking with what we know. We like it and it's worked before. And ultimately, they underestimated their competition. But why did BlackBerry ultimately fail? And why... And for those Apple fans among you, I'm going to say something bad here. Why will Apple one day fade into insignificance? It's because they are companies led by visions that are from humans. Now, God has made humans with great creativity. As such, we've got amazing brands and amazing technology. But the ideas that's pushing those companies forward, the vision that's leading those companies forward is made by men and women. And no idea by men and women lasts forever. Steve Jobs can lead Apple forward, and then he dies, and Tim Cook takes over. But the thing is, is it was never quite the same once the founder had died. And so those ideas at some stage will become irrelevant because they're based on human vision. Now, I want to be honest here. In the natural... I am concerned about the future church, not only here at City Church, but in the nation, in the Western world, in the global world. Because who knows, society is just going crazy at the moment, isn't it? For those of you who are over the age of 40, you'll have grown up or been in a country where you were in the UK where you were used to Christianity being the, you know, the rock, the cornerstone. And all of a sudden now, it's being pushed to the margins of society. So for those of you particularly under the age of 20, you'll have never really grown up in a place where the Bible was a key reference point in terms of our society. And so in the natural, I'm scared of what happens in the next 10, 20, 30, let alone 40 years. And that's okay, and I imagine probably all of you feel that way as well. But here's the great truth. We don't live in the natural. 
We live in the supernatural. You see, we aren't called to look at things just simply in the natural eyes and practicality of, well, what happens? What happens when um, all these things that are biblical and rooted in the Bible start to become things that can actually be regarded as illegal to say? What happens if the book of the Bible ever becomes outlawed, like we've seen in certain like, communist countries? You see, in the natural, there's plenty of things to worry about. But we are called to live with, through the lens of the supernatural sovereign power of God. You see, God leads us. God leads us. And it's his vision that leads us into the future. I can encourage you that if it was my vision leading us into the future of City Church, you should be worried. Because I have lots of ideas. Kathy's always joking with me that there's always something new I'm on with. First, I'm playing with doing some origami, and then I'm working on plants, and then I want to get another kayak, and then it's never ending. If it was based, the vision was based on simply my ideas, we would come unstuck. And I would be saying to you, you should leave this church. Because a church led by my ideas is one that might work for a while, but it wouldn't work indefinitely because the vision and ideas need to be coming from God, not just people. And so that's why we saw that Apple failed. We, uh, so we saw that BlackBerry failed. Uh, at some stage, Apple won't be once what it was. But this church, City Church, this church collectively, globally as a whole, is a God-given idea. It's his outworking of his vision for those he created, men, women, and children on the earth. And so it will never fail. And so what I want to encourage you as I spend this time, this season, unpacking the vision, is that the vision we are working on is God's vision. And so I want you to really take excitement and reassurance that we are stepping out where God wants to take us rather than just some idea that I or the leadership have had. In Isaiah 46.10, it says, God says, only I can tell you the future before it even happens. Everything I plan will come to pass, for I do whatever I wish. So we don't need to be worried about the future of the church, because God knows the beginning from the end. He knows where we fit in that, whether we're towards the end times, whether we're bang on in the middle, I'm not going to give you any, any predictions and my input in there because God says you'll never actually know when it's coming. But we are stepping out under a God-given vision. And so as I'm unpacking this vision, um, it's not groundbreaking. Any of you who wanted a groundbreaking vision that you've never heard of before this isn't it. Anyone who wanted me to bring some sense of, I've discovered the true meaning of the gospel that nobody else has discovered before, then you're not going to get that here. And if you did, I think you should be kicking me out of the church because I'm not interpreting the Bible in fresh new ways. All we're doing is we're just applying God's biblical teaching that's always been for the church. It never comes in or goes out of fashion because it's always just been. God is never ending and unchanging. And so we um, are applying different aspects 
of biblical teaching that God has simply revealed that this is something for, for me. For each and every one of you, for us as a collective of City Church, for this very season. It's a vision that if we pulled out 10 years ago, if, we'd, if we tried 10 years ago, it wouldn't have been as applicable because it wasn't the ordained time for it. In the same way that God unpacks more of vision. And so if, if we were sticking hold of this in 20 years' time with not adding anything else on that God's been speaking to us, we'd be limited. And so the biblical, the vision for this church that God has given us is biblical. Now, towards the end of my message, and I'm going to be speaking, I would probably say this is the second of four weeks about vision for the church. Um, I am conscious that we've got some visitors, so if this is your one and only time visit to City Church, there are going to be things that you will gain out of this. This isn't just an academic study, but this is particularly focused on the family of City Church and where we are heading and so a couple of weeks ago, um, I shared about the need, for, need, need for God's vision in our life and also the church. Now, if I'm honest, I shared too much. Why do I say that? Well, I unpacked three points and then I started on what really should have been this week's message. And so I'm sorry I went on a little bit long and it is something I am working on. I am trying to curtail messages to make sure you've got take-home points without getting lost in detail. But what I'm doing is, even though I shared that this first of four points last two weeks ago, can you just imagine that never happened, okay? We're starting afresh this week so that there's continuity and there's clarity rather than keep referring back to the week before. So I've got four points that I want to, to share with you about the foundational principles that God wants City Church to be built upon. But before I go there, let me pray. Father God, I thank you so much that we work in the supernatural. We see things in the supernatural strength and power of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, and our Heavenly Father. We don't work through the natural eyes of James, or Kathy, Paul, Caroline, Dave, Sue, June, any number of people or ourselves, we work through the filter that God is in control, God has all power, and that God is the one who brings vision and direction to honor him. God, we just pray that this morning, would you really um, speak to our hearts as we look with expectation and excitement where you are taking us as a church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today I'm going to share with you four foundational principles that City Church is built on. And again, I said this last week, but we've picked four principles out. This isn't to say that anything else that's not on those principles doesn't apply. So actually, you won't see that one of the principles is the Bible or prayer. These are absolutely key to us as a city church. They should be key to any church. We have a doctrine of beliefs that, that covers many points which can be found on our website and particularly focuses on 12 points. Now, they apply really to 
the, all, the whole collective church, but there are certain things that God has put over this church for this season that are particularly blessings and anointings, okay? So these are things that we're really going to take hold of and build on, and largely these are foundational uh, principles that Pastor Dave and Sue um, implemented over the many years they led this church. And so the idea is that we're going to look at four foundational principles this week. Next week, we're going to look upon that foundation, how God's led us to go through four seasons of this church life over the next handful of years, and how that will take us to another level. And I should emphasize here again is that um, I was talking again with Kathy this morning about how do you deliver vision when God's spoken but without, uh, without kind of shouting from the root, rooftops, heareth God saith, you know, that kind of like old school um, uh, King James version. But the truth is, is I really believe we've heard from God. He spoke specifically, very cl clearly, and very quickly. And what happens then is that is then filtered through, well, how does that unpack over time? When we speak with the, the rest of the leaders in church and the key sort of other department leaders um, within church and other pastors, as you share that vision that God's given you, how did they respond? And when they respond to say, you know what, that really resounds with what God's been saying to me as well, you know you're in the right direction. So this isn't simply God spoke to me and we're applying this, but God spoke to me and Kathy. And then he spoke to Dave and Sue. And then a little bit later on, he unpacked it further, but more on that next week. So there's four aspects that are key to City Church. You'll find these in other churches, but I think these are things that if you asked a visitor or who's come here for a month or two, they would be picking these things up. So the first one is love. We are a church that above all else seeks to love God and each other. Now you'd think that would be in all churches, but we all know sometimes other churches are more loving than others, the people. But I believe, and it's not to any sort of our credit that we're, a, you know, we're all loving people, but I believe something that God's put over this church is that we are an incredibly loving group, family of people. It says in 1 John 4, 7 to 11, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a, is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son to this world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one, has ever see, no one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. See, being an all-inclusive community is foundational to church. The opposite of inclusive is exclusive, and if there is a church that puts out that we are exclusive, then it's missing the, the whole 
purpose of the, the church. We're to be an intimate family, but we're also to be looking out to bring people in, to tell people about the good news of Jesus. And so I would hope that, for, particularly for those of, of our visitors today, you will very quickly pick up the love of God in this church. The love of God in the way people will speak to you. They'll have time for you. They will listen to you. The way we lead worship in all our ministries, it's out of a heart of love for God, first and foremost, and his people. And I believe that as a church, I really want you to get hold of this, is that if we adhere to what God says that we are to be loving, we will see God touch our lives. We will see fruit in our lives. Let's start off on your individual level. If you are loving, you are going to see fruit from that love. You're first of all going to see that people actually want to be around you, because if you're unloving, you probably won't have lots of people around you. But those who are loving draw people in. So if you're loving, you will enjoy life because you'll have many people on the journey with you. But the primary purpose of, as Christians is to be loving is that we show God's love to others. And so what you will see is if you are loving, you will have opportunities that God will give you where people will then actually ask of you, why are you loving? Like, why are you doing that? Um, I don't get it. So, can I encourage you? Be loving for God, and you will see him give you opportunities to share his love and his grace with others. And I believe as we do continue to be a loving church, we are going to see growth. We are going to see growth. And I don't just mean by having people join us with the congregations I mean people giving their lives to Christ. Does anyone else want to see a church that is full through people walking in off the street, our friends, our family, even complete strangers, who actually want to meet Jesus? Does anyone else want to see that? Does anyone else want to see that? I'm not talking about, does anyone else just fancy going to the cinema? I'm talking about our loved ones. Friends, family, neighbors, work colleagues who are lost, who are, as it stands, separated for all eternity from God unless they invite Jesus into their lives. You have to start, first of all, is how is your relationship with God? What would you be like if God somehow, which is impossible, ceased to exist? Imagine the emptiness you would experience. But God is love and so God is with us and we need to make sure that the love and fire and the relationship we have for God is passed out and if your response to do you want to see a loved one saved is I suppose be good can I say you need to get back into God's presence and you need to ask him to give you a burning heart a desire to see the lost saved So how loving are you? If love is one of the, the foundational principles that City Church is particularly gifted and blessed with, how loving are you? It's a bit of an uncomfortable question. Yeah, pretty good. 
I think I'm I'm loving. I don't, you know, I'm, I don't punch people. I'm not swearing at them. But actually, how Christ-like are you to them? Displaying the fruits of the Spirit. Are you gentle? Are you kind? Are you supportive? Are you Jesus to other people? And the answer is yes and no. We are Jesus to people, but we know that throughout our lives there will always be more that God wants to do in us. So can I encourage you, whether you're, you've given yourself a two on the, out of ten for the lo- how loving are you, or whether you've given yourself a healthy seven or eight, there is always more that God wants to input in you because God's love is never-ending. So we can never get to a ten and say, I'm done. I know love, I am love. We always need to be seeking God. The the second foundational principle we're looking at is compassion. We are a church that practices compassion. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ has forgiven you. Now, the word compassion originates, as you go back in the language, it is from the Latin, compati. And compati means suffer with. So compassion literally means to suffer with. We need to suffer as other people suffer. When others experience heartbreak, for us to have compassion with them is to actually come alongside and be with them on that journey to suffer with them. That doesn't mean you're somehow trying to take off that suffering from them, but it just shows that you're with them through that pain, that they're not on their own, that you, as a Christian, are actually being Christ to them by being with them in their suffering. So another person's suffering becomes our suffering. And what happens when someone else's suffering becomes your suffering? Well, let me put it this way. If you fall over and sprain your ankle, you're in pain, what do you do about it? Oh, never mind, I'll just carry on walking. No, you stop because you're in pain. You do something about it, whether that be in an ice pack, raising it, Um, you know, so it doesn't get inflamed or whatever the words are, going to a doctor, you know, you might need to see a a physio. You take action when you're suffering. And so when we see others suffering and we have compassion on them, there is action. So when we see someone who is in tears, we see what they're going through and we get alongside them and actually say, what's wrong? Can I pray for you? Is there a way I can help? There is action. If you see someone who's homeless and who's literally got a sign is, can you give me some food? Well, if we suffer with them, what do we do when we're hungry? We feed ourselves. So there's an action to that compassion, which means we look to serve those who are suffering. So true compassion changes the way we live. And can I say, there's a reason we're in Kensington. 
Dave, at God's given our, our, our previous senior pastor, Dave Latham, a huge compassion, uh, uh, ability to have compassion. And that compassion led us to Kensington, where there's such a physical need for people, not only physically, but spiritually. That's why it didn't take Dave originally to form me. There's a lots of spiritual need, but not so much physical need. And so that compassion led Dave and Sue to Kensington. And as a result, that's one of those foundational principles that is with us because it's just always been part of City Church to have compassion. Now, I'm compassionate, but I know I've got a lot of improvement. I'm hoping there's no one sniggering thinking, you don't need to tell us, James. But I know there are certain people who are more compassionate than others. Certain people who have a real gifting from God. Not through their own hard work, but a gifting from God. I've listed Dave and Sue. I could list June, Kathy, Elaine, Geraldine. I think I've got everyone there on the, the pastoral care team. It's not by chance that our most compassionate people are serving in pastoral care for people. Obviously, there's lots more compassionate people in the church. But let me just put a quote out to you if you think you're doing pretty well from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He says, we must learn to regard people less in the light of what they do or omit to do and more in the light of what they suffer. That's, they're not easy words to hear, are you? Are they? You think, oh, I'm pretty compassionate. But actually, when you look at it is... We do often see people in terms of, oh, how can they benefit me? Have they got some money, some wisdom, some opportunities to bring me? And so we are human. And so we can be aware that we experience those things. But we need to make sure that we see people with eyes of compassion to see what they're suffering and then how we interact and relate with them based on compassion rather than a sense of how can they bring me more. We should swap it over as how can we, how can they, how can we bless them rather than how can they bless us. So how compassionate are you? How compassionate are you? The third foundational pillar is worship. We are a church that sings praises to the Lord. It says in Colossians 3.16, Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Sing praises and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankfulness. Now if you ask anyone over the years who's been at City Church, can you tell me about one thing that really just stands out? And they would, more often than not, they'd say, it's the worship. It's the worship. And a bit like with how Dave really car carried that compassion that brought us to this building and this area, Sue has always carried a gifting and heart for worship. And so that's always been embedded in City Church where people always come and they'd be like, the worship's incredible. Now, we have and always have had great band and worship teams. But we, if, if I'm honest, we can't really compare to 
the battles and the hill songs in terms of the, the stage production, the lights, the instrument, the, the fact that we've got, we, we don't have professional singers. But more than all of that, and I'm so blessed by Hillsong and Bethel, by the way, but, what, but more than that, it's the heart that people carry on the worship. I've known people, and not in this church, I think of one person particularly, he led worship and his voice wasn't very good. But oh, how he carried the presence of God into worship. And so worship isn't just a talent. Worship is a gifting. And it's a blessing that God has put over this house. And so we are a house of worship. We make space for worship as an essential aspect of who we are. Now, there are some people who would say, why can't we have more worship? But then other people will be telling me, the services are getting a bit long, James. So it's always a hard balance, but I can say we are starting quarterly worship nights on a Sunday evening, which you'll hear about more in the, in the weeks to come where there's no other focus than other to sing praises to God. Now, one thing I've not mentioned there, and some of you might be wondering in the theology, is worship really is anything that brings glory to God. So we can worship God through singing, through reading the Bible, through our jobs, through anything that brings glory to God the way he's intended it. But when I'm talking about worship here, I'm specifically talking about sung worship. So you will see many areas of the church where we're actively worshiping God in many ways, but sorry, I should have clarified that. It's the actual sung worship. It's singing praises to God that is a real um, anointing and gifting that God has put over this church. But as I've unpacked what, what it is to worship, it's not just singing, is are there areas of your life where you're not worshiping God? Because I can assure you, if we have one of our worship singers and they're ready to worship, but you know they've really messed up on a sinful level, and then you're trying to lead worship, you'll notice. You'll notice. If, if I've just had a massive row with Kathy, and I've not read my Bible for a week, and I'm about to preach, you'll notice. Because there isn't that sense of anointing that God gives when you've been worshiping him. And so can I say is, there'll all be areas of life at different stages where you'll think, you know what? What I'm doing there is not bringing glory to God. I'm not honoring God. And can I say what God wants to address that is, you need to go to God with that so that all around you can be constantly seeking to worship God in all areas. Because if there's one area that you have cut off and say, God, I just can't do that like you called me to, can I say you'll notice that all across your life? If you've got real anger issues and you can't forgive, but you're doing well in everything else, you'll notice there will be something that holds you back. Whereas if you dealt with that, you would see God's anointing and blessing on your life like never before. If you struggle with lust and pornography and you've put that to the side to say, God, I just, uh, I don't know what to do. But you go to God and address those issues and God really brings healing in that area. All of a sudden you will find that there's a weight off your shoulders where there is a freedom to go about in the business of God without the condemnation 
and the attacking of the devil that he, he brought all that time for your sin. So there's many areas, but that's the question is, what areas of your, wor- your life are you not worshipping God? And then the fourth um, foundational um, principle is the Holy Spirit. We are a church that is not simply built on knowledge, but we create space for the leading of the Holy Spirit. In John 15, 26, it says, but I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth. He will come to you uh, from the Father and will testify all about me. Now, I want to unpack just two terms, two very Christian terms that you've, you've all heard of, even if you've never been to church, I imagine you've heard of, is evangelical and Pentecostal. Now, at this stage, I can reassure you, I'm beginning to land. It's my last point because thousands of books have been written on these topics. People all over the world have been doing PhDs on what isn't evangelical and what is a Pentecostal. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to summarize it into one paragraph. Okay, it's that easy. It's not at all. But for this message, I'm just going to make it simple. Okay. So evangelical, and again, it's good, to, it's good that we, we, God has given us Christian, like, you know, the Christian language of the Bible, biblical language. Now, this isn't something that if you go, and sp- go onto the street and they say, you know, are you a Christian? And then you start talking about Pentecostalism, then that's not where you start, okay? But God gives us these terms and understandings so that almost within our family, it helps us to understand theology better. So, Evangelical basically refers to Christians who take the Bible seriously and believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So it's fair to say that we're an evangelical church. We believe in the Bible and we believe what it says about Jesus Christ. Now Pentecostal refers to Christians who emphasize the gifts of the Holy Spirit, specifically speaking in tongues, as well as the supernatural healing and other outworkings of the Holy Spirit. So it's fair to say that you will hear a lot about the Holy Spirit in this church. You will see the Holy Spirit working in miracles, in healings, in speaking of tongues. So it's fair to say that we're also a Pentecostal church. Now, I'm going to take as an example two extremes, okay? This is not to say this is reflection of one church that's evangelical, one that's Pentecostal. But let's say, like anything, with politics, left and right-wing politics, you've got the extremes. And so I'm taking the extremes here. So there's a danger with evangelicalism, um, for those who Christians who really believe in the Bible, that they focus just on the text, and they start to miss out on the intimate relationship that the Holy that God has given us the Holy Spirit for, so that God isn't just someone in a book or someone distant. God is right there in our hearts. We have an intimate relationship with Him, and the Holy Spirit, as we saw, is the Advocate, which basically means He's our kind of go-between, who really just um, enables us to have such a close relationship with God. So on the poles of evangelicalism you might find that if someone's not doesn't you know hasn't encountered the holy spirit then their faith might be a bit dry because it's 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 more about study than it is necessarily and pra- and the actual application than actually an intimate relationship with god that when you're on your own 
God's designed us so that we can intimately talk to him. If you've come from an evangelical background, you're your visitor, please don't have any sense that I'm be offended. I'm talking about the, the narrow extremes. And then the same with Pentecostalism is that because we're really focused on the Holy Spirit, on that extreme of Pentecostalism, the danger is that people get so caught up in the experience, the feeling that they have when the Holy Spirit moves, that they then start to pursue more the feeling of the Holy Spirit and the gifts than actually, well, what does this mean for my life in terms of my relationship with God? And we've all met some of those Christians who are on the extremes of Pentecostalism where you just think, just calm down. That, that's, that's just weird. Like, you just go in overboard. Like, what you're even doing or saying, I don't, it's not even biblical. So we can have really Christians who haven't got the intimate relationship with God on the evangelical side. We can have Pentecostals who are just all about the, where's the, where's the next move of God? You know, people flying over Toronto because I'm like, I just want to see what's gone on in Toronto or other things. It, it's good to experience, but not to chase. So we are a Pentecostal evangelical church. I, I'm sure some people say that that's, you can't, that's, that's illegal to say such things that you can take the two. Again, I've not done a PhD on it. I'm just speaking of what my heart is. So, but the Holy Spirit and the truth of the Bible need to go hand in hand. And so we are a church that believes that the Holy Spirit is to be actively involved in our lives in order that we may know God as our Father and closest friend. We are a church that creates space for the Holy Spirit to move. This means sometimes that we won't have a perfectly structured service. It means sometimes there may be a break in worship because God, because uh, the Holy Spirit is just leading us to, to speak out prayers. It means People in this church, when they feel led by the Holy Spirit, will be given opportunity to come up and share a word or a vision that God has given them. And it means that this church will step out and try new things where they feel like they've been led by the Holy Spirit. It can be a little bit messy to be a, a, a church that has the Holy Spirit as one of its key foundational principles. But I tell you what, with the mess, you have such fruit and joy that you simply just wouldn't know if you kept the Holy Spirit in a box and brought him out for 10 minutes in a service or this little slot of my life. So can I ask you, is the Holy Spirit actively involved in your life? Do you know Jesus as your closest friend? Because if you're a Christian here, but has this, still has this sense that God is, yeah, God loves me, but he's always just a little bit, whoa, just not too close. Like, you just stay there. You know your place. Then can I say that you've not fully grasped the way God, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus want to be intimately involved in your life. Intimately involved. So that your relationship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is closer and more important than your relationship with your spouse, with your children, with your job, with your money, that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are everything. Nothing is more important. And can I say, if, if that feels like some 
foreign theology or something that just seems impossible for you, but you do, you have invited Jesus into your life, can I say is, and we'll give you an opportunity shortly, is you need to actually ask the Holy Spirit to come into your life so that you can truly know the intimacy God has for you. So in a minute, we're going we're gonna to pray, but just to give you a bit of context of where we, we, we sit uh, within this is we've got, uh, if we put the next slide up, it should be the, the, like the, the little building. So we've got love, compassion, worship, Holy Spirit. And next week, we're going to look at four seasons that God is taking us through a city church. So two years ago, three years ago, he spoke to me and Kathy. And then I know the exact date on the 1st of December, God's, God really then unpacked more of that vision that he gave us three years ago. And so I won't tell you, we'll keep the suspense going. I'm sure many of you, if you spoke to me, you know exactly what they are. But we'll look at that and based on the foundation and the seasons we move through, God will take us to um, a new level. I know it's a little bit cliche, but a new level where God is just going to see, use us to see this community and this city massively impacted. So I'm going to ask Kathy to come up um, and pray now because um, what we need to be doing is praying that God would make us loving people, compassionate people, that we would be worshippers in all areas of our life, and that we would have an intimate relationship with God the Father and Jesus through the advocate of the Holy Spirit.